0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 15th of January 2012, entitled, In This Place for This Time. And the Bible reading is taken from Esther chapter 4, verses 10 to 17. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Esther chapter 4 and verse 10. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these thirty days." They told to Mordecai Esther's words. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. Who knoweth? "'whether thou art come to the kingdom "'for such a time as this?' "'Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. "'Go, gather together all the Jews "'that are present in Shushan, "'and fast ye for me, "'and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. "'I also and my maidens will fast likewise, "'and so will I go in unto the king, "'which is not according to the law,' If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for this time that we can have together, but we especially come thanking you at this time for your word that we have before us. Lord, that you have given to us, that you have preserved for us through the centuries. For your Holy Spirit that lives within us, that will make these words alive into our hearts. Lord, this morning as we gather here, we're grateful that we can know that, Father, you not only see the outward, but you know and understand the hearts of each and every that is gathered here this morning. You know the needs of each individual. You know if there be one in our midst that needs Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. You know each and every one of your children. You know precisely what they're facing now, what they will face in the coming week. You know, Lord, who needs to be encouraged, who needs to be challenged who needs to be strengthened, we just pray, Lord, that you would do the work that only you can do in the hearts of each individual for your glory and your honor alone. For it's in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Some of you may remember this passage for more than one reason, hopefully because you've read it yourself in your own personal Bible readings. But also we looked at this passage, it's been a couple of years back, And we drew our attention here because I think that, if anything, it is more relevant today. And so as we look back at this passage, I'm going to draw your attention to one particular phrase uh, that we find there in the end of verse 14, and who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Our simple thought this morning In this place and for this time, in this place and for this time, who knoweth whether thou art coming to the kingdom for such a time as this? As we look around us, as we look at society, as we look at the morality of that society, as we look at the economy, we see people that are hurting and people that are struggling The simple truth is sometimes that as we look, we may ask ourselves, well, where's the hope? You know, what can we really hope for? I have said to you before, and I would repeat to you once again this morning, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what the future may hold, but as the songwriter says, I know who holds the future, and I know that he holds me in his hand. You see, I don't even know if there's any hope for the United Kingdom or the United States of America or any other country on the face of this earth. I don't know what the hope is for their economic situations. We have in recent times gone through elections here and people trying to build their hopes on a change. Right now in the United States, everything is building up for a new election to come in November. But you know, I can promise you this. It doesn't matter who we put in number 10 Downing Street. It doesn't matter who is placed in the White House in the United States. That doesn't mean that politics aren't important to us and that as Christians we ought to have a voice. But folks, our future is not held in their hands. The simple truth, we are not in the state that we are in today. People are not hurting like they are hurting because of who has been in the positions of power. The Bible teaches us clearly that it is God himself who sets those people up and God that brings them down. You see, the truth is, is that if we have any hope today, I believe this with all of my heart, though we may not know if there's hope for our economy and our societies as a whole, we know there is hope for God's people. There is no question about that. There is hope for God's people And I believe just as surely if there is hope for our nation today, that hope lies in God's people, not in the world, not in the politics, not in many of those things that are around us that have so much to do with our lives. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this in verses 13 to 16. He said, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, Wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. He goes on to say, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. I will not go back and repeat again, but I will remind you of this simple thought. Folks, Jesus is saying very clearly, we're the salt of this earth. If there's any preservation going to come, if there's anything that is going to come good out of it, it's going to come through God's people. We are the light of this world you have heard me say time and again in different aspects from this pulpit, you know, the problem in the world is not here because God has chosen to make it as miserable as he can for everybody. Our problem is not God. It is a lack of God. The darkness is there because of a lack of light. We don't measure darkness. We measure light. Darkness is there when no light exists. Jesus said, we are the light of this world. If there's going to be any light in this world, it's going to come through God's people. As we look in the book of Esther, you see, I want to remind you of something this morning. I know that we're the third Sunday into the new year. But many times as we think of a new year on the calendar, we, we think of new beginnings, we think of new starts. I think I'm making a whole lot of resolutions that don't end up being held a lot of times. But there's something I want to remind you of in 2012. I've been saying it for the past 20 years at least uh, from this pulpit, and that is, folks, I believe more than ever that this will be the year that the Lord returns. Not fortune-telling, not future-seeing, but I'm looking for his turn, return any moment. Because I was looking for him in 2011, and he didn't come yet. That doesn't mean I'm looking for him less, but I'm even more convinced that we're closer to that time and that this could be the year. And I'm looking for that, and I'm listening for that trumpet. But in 2012, you know, we can look back and we can remember better times maybe. Most of us can either remember or read about much better times spiritually we can read about the great revivals. We can read about the great movements of God. Most of us, if we've been saved any time at all, we can look back in our own lives and but we can remember those times when God has moved mightily in some way, when His, His presence was unmistakable when what was taking place could only be for His glory and His glory alone. Many times. We look at the situations and we might think those thoughts of, boy, if only, if only I could have lived during that great revival. If only I could have lived during those economic times. But I say there is not one person here this morning. There is not one person that may be listening to this on the Internet out there later. There is not one person that is where you are at this point in time by accident. God has placed you here at this time. And God has a reason for you being here. And it's not that you'll be successful in your job. And it's not that you can have that bigger house. And it's not that you can have all the the pleasures of this world and all the things around you. Some of those things may be good and may be part of your life. and, And there are great responsibilities that we have out there. But that's not why we are here. We've just been coming through our our series for close to two years on contending for the faith and what that faith is that we are to be ready to fight for and to die for if necessary. And, of course, we recognize that the main purpose God chose for His own reasons, to do His work through people. He sent His Son. His Son came and died on the cross, and He paid that ultimate price for every one of our sins. The reality is, as he went back, he sent another. All those beautiful verses verses in John chapter 14, he was sending another, that paraclete, that comforter, to come alongside that he would be with us forever, he said. And he's the one. We saw as we looked at all those many sermons on, on the Holy Spirit and, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, it's not so we can feel good. It's not so that we can somehow even allow ourselves to accomplish things that we could In other words, his purpose is that the work of Jesus Christ can continue to be accomplished through our lives. He lives and dwells within us so that the work of Christ can go forward. I'm saying to you, God has a purpose for your life. There are many things involved in life and everything that we do. The Bible teaches us that we are to do it as unto the Lord We should seek to bring glory to Him in all that we do. And I don't believe that God necessarily wants you to be a pauper or for you to be rich, but God wants you to put Him first and for His work to be accomplished. And all of these other things will be worked out in our lives. I want to remind you, you are here for a purpose, and God is in control. And regardless of how hopeless that it may look, whether we're looking at the at the spirituality, at the morals, at the economics, no matter how hopeless that it looks, there is hope for God's people. The book of Esther is an unusual book. It's that book where that we don't find the name God spelled out anywhere in there. And yet we see the hand of God in preserving his people in a miraculous way. It's one of the the clearest illustrations of that In all of Scripture, as we look here, let me just remind you, it's the Persian time in history. King Ahasuerus is sitting on his throne. Queen Vashti has been removed for her insubordination, and Esther is made queen. Esther was the younger cousin of this man Mordecai that we read about here. He had taken her and raised her as if she were his own daughter, And of course, in our account here, they had kept it very secret, the fact that they were of Jewish descent. They didn't want anybody to know that they were Jews. In the last verses of chapter 2, we see Mordecai's loyalty to the king when he sends word through Esther of a plot that he's found out about that is there to kill the king. In chapter 3, We see this character called Haman. We see his promotion to a position of power within this government. We see Mordecai's refusal to bow down to this man, to reverence Haman. And we find that he refuses to adhere to Haman's cunning, tricking decree that he has put forth When in fact, what he's wanting to do is not only to destroy Mordecai, but to destroy all the Jews, to destroy all of God's people. It's important to note that as we look through history, (laughs) Satan never gives up on trying to destroy God's people. And folks, I'm talking about whether it's the nation of Israel itself or whether it's you and I today here that are God's chosen people that are part of the body of Christ today, I can assure you we have an enemy that is looking for our destruction. But here, these, these hostilities that we read about here in the book of Esther, they go back for, for, for at least a 1,000 years. We find that Mordecai was a Benjamite. He was a descendant of King Saul himself. Whereas Haman, he was an Agagite. He was a descendant of King Agag. Now, as king of the Amalekites, he was a descendant of Esau. So we find that Saul was under orders of God when he was king to destroy all of the Amalekites, to destroy the whole nation, including King Agag himself. Saul didn't obey God. He disobeyed God, and he incurred God's displeasure as a result. And it was later Samuel that actually ended up hacking Agag into little pieces. We find that even though that now this account that we're reading here is some 550 years beyond that, there is some real animosity between these two groups of of people. We find that there was no lost love whatsoever. And so we find that as Mordecai refuses to bow down to Haman and Haven is conniving to exterminate him and his entire race of people, we pick up in chapters 4 to 7. This is where Esther intervenes. We see everything beginning to backfire on Haman. We see Mordecai's power as he begins to to be promoted and rise uh, in prominence, we see the fall and the destruction of Haman himself. We get into chapters 8 and 10, or 8 through 10, we see the survival of God's people against all odds. We see their victory over the enemy when it looked completely, totally impossible. As a matter of fact, There were celebrations put in place by the Jewish people at that time that are still practiced to this day in commemoration of what took place there. You see, God had the people that he needed. In that case, it was Esther that he had in that place at that time, one person in that place at that time that God used to change the course of a whole nation to literally use that one person that that nation might even survive. You see, when we read through, it appeared by everything that we see, it appeared the enemy had won. It appeared that there was not just little, but that there was no hope whatsoever for God's people. But the enemy, though he seemed to be holding All of the court cards God had for such a time as that. He had a plan in place. He had a people to use. You see, for such a time as this that you and I live in, I don't know what might be hopeless for you. I don't know what your job situation and your financial situation might be. I don't know what kind of spiritual struggles that you might be having. But I want you to know this. For such a time as this, there is hope for God's people. There is real hope for God's people. What did it say there in verse 14? For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. In other words, hey, If you don't want God to use you, if you're not there for God to use at this time, God's plan is not going to be thwarted. God's plan is going to be carried out. You might be destroyed in the process. You may not be part of it. That's not because God doesn't want you to. It's because you're not willing to. He says, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom For such a time as this, as bleak as things may look, as challenging as they are for you, for your friends, for your neighbors, for others that are around us, for such a time as this, right now in this place, for this time, God has a people. And I hope this morning that you know that you're one of His. Because you see, that's the first thing For such a time as this, in the times that you and I live, the first thing that we need with absolute certainty is a little thing called confidence. Not confidence in us, not confidence in our politicians, but yes, confidence in God. And the only way we can have confidence in God is to have confidence in our salvation. You see, the first thing, I don't care. I don't care what that... You may have done for God and what God may have, have done for you. I don't care what religious experiences that you may have. The Bible tells us in a number of places. First of all, in Second Corinthians, notice what he says as he comes to the closing of this book in chapter 13. And he tells us this in verses 5 and 6. He says very simply, he says, examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except ye be reprobates? But I trust that ye shall know that we are not reprobates. We're not outside of that faith. As I share these passages with you, as we look at what God is doing for His people here in the book of Esther, If there is a hope today, your hope is in Him. If there is a hope today, it is for God's people. And the first thing that you must know with absolute certainty, don't play games with it, don't have any questions about it, don't question it whatsoever, is to know with absolute certainty that you're one of God's people. In Colossians chapter 1, he tells us this in verses 20 to 23. He says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of of the gospel which ye have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. There is no greater message of hope in all the world than the message of the gospel. But what the Bible is saying is that you must have confidence in knowing that that message has been made personal to you. It doesn't matter that the greatest event in history took place, not when Jesus just entered this world, not when he just lived a life of perfection that no one else could live, not even just when he died upon the cross and shed his blood to atone for your sins. But folks, the evidence of that was found with certainty. When they went the third day and they found empty tomb. The truth is, do you know with absolute certainty in 1 John chapter 5 and in verses 4 and 5, he says to us, for whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, as I look at your faces this morning, I know that you've all made professions. I know that you're here because of your love for Him. But I would challenge you this morning with absolute certainty, examine yourself. Know that you're of the faith. You see, I do want to offer you hope this morning, but I can only offer you that hope if you are absolutely certain and know that you're part of God's people, that you're His, that you belong to Him, and only you know your heart. I don't know it. The first thing that we need for such a time as you and I live in is confidence in knowing that we're part of God's people. Confidence in knowing That we belong to Him because He then gives us great hope. For such a time as this, God has you right here in this place at this precise time. You may have made some horrible mistakes, you may have got completely off track in God's will in the past, but you are where you are today for such a time as this. And God is the one that is in control. Does He have control of your life? You see, for such a time as this, it's not just that confidence that we need, that certainty of knowing that we're saved. But secondly, folks, we need courage. We need some people with courage. So many times today, the Christians, those that belong to God, they're they're made to to feel belittled, to feel like that they're less intelligent that they're somehow from another planet somewhere, that that's not the world that we live in today. And it's not the world that we live in today. We are in a minority. We will be looked upon as strange people. But I'm saying to you today that no matter how hopeless it looks, that today, at this time, in this place, that you and I are, we need some people with courage, courage to speak up, You see, back in in Esther chapter 3, notice what it said there in verse 8 and 9. And Haman said unto the king Ahasuerus, there is a certain people scattered abroad and dispersed among the people in all the provinces of thy kingdom, and their laws are diverse from all people. Neither keep they the king's laws, therefore it is not for the king's prophet to suffer them. Folks, those words could not be repeated More clearly today, the vast majority of the world is saying, you don't want anything to do with those Christians. They're not for us. They're against what we're trying to do. He goes on and he says here in the next verse, if it please the king, let it be written that they may be destroyed. And I will pay 10,000 talents of silver to the hands of those that have the charge of the business to bring it into the king's treasures. You need to realize, I'm not here today to tell you that you're not going to be attacked by this world, that it's going to be easygoing, and that there's not going to be obstacles and persecutions in the way. If you're part of God's people, the Bible says if you live godly, you will suffer persecution, persecutions. Why? Because if God is really living through your life, if the Holy Spirit is really present in your life, people don't like feeling guilty for their sins. People don't like feeling that they somehow have failed God. I'm just saying to you today that we need the courage, though we recognize that there's much around us that would encourage us not to speak up, not to be recognized. The world doesn't want to hear it, and if anything, they might want to get rid of us. But he tells us here in our reading, he began there in verse 10. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Morakai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that whosoever whether a man or woman shall come into the king, into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death, except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter, that he may live. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days They told the Mordecai Esther's words. She says, hey, if I speak the words you're wanting me to speak, if I go in before the king and stand up and speak up for God's people, then the reality is it might cost me my life. Do you not understand that anybody that goes before the king and speaks before the king, that they risk it costing them their life? If they're not invited, if he doesn't hold out that scepter, you're gone. That's it. She had a pretty good reason to be nervous. But he says then in verse 13, Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. Hey, don't try to kid yourself into thinking that just because you're living in the king's house, just because that you're there that if the things come down on God's people, don't think you're going to get away with it just because of where you are. Truth is, if you belong to God, then you're going to end up suffering along with the rest of God's people. Just because you're living in the king's house, it doesn't protect you against that. And of course, then our text for today, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. The truth is, If you're not willing, if you don't have the courage to stand before the king and to speak up at this time, God is still going to deliver his people because that's his plan. But you you won't be part of it. It may bring about your destruction, but they will still be saved. He says, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. May I say today, The world wants us to keep silent. The world wants to intimidate us as to the consequences if we have the courage to speak up, to speak up for God, to speak up for God's Word, to speak up for God's principles, to speak up for what God has told us clearly in His Word. But today, folks, we are reaping the fruits of our silence because God's people are afraid To speak up. If we don't get involved, it can't do anything except to cost us. You and I are here for such a time as this. You and I are the ones that now in this place need to have the courage to speak up for God's truths, regardless of the consequences, regardless of the world's reception. We must speak those truths. The courage to stand up, you know, is more than just words, but it's willing to be able to take a stand and to live by those words. To live by God's principles. One of the great military minds of all time was General Douglas MacArthur. For 50 years, he devoted his life to his country. Do you know what he said? upon conquering Japan at the end of World War II, it wasn't send over the cars and the houses and the tax collectors. He said, what is needed now are not tax collectors to collect taxes for the conquerors. Know that what was needed now was 10,000 missionaries to the country of Japan. But you know, the world didn't think that was what they needed. The world and God's people didn't send those missionaries And of course, today, they're a country that spiritually have not. He once made another observation. He said, history fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has been either a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to ultimate national disorder. Where are our nations going? Folks, I believe this. Politics isn't going to change it. A spiritual awakening will change it. But without a spiritual awakening, our economies may die around us. Our nations may become history, as many have before. But that doesn't change the fact if we are God's people... And God needs a people today, a people with confidence that they belong to Him that have the courage to speak up and to stand up for Him regardless of the consequences of the politicians, regardless of the consequences of the powers that be, that we stand up and be recognized for who we are as His people. We find that not only do we need a people of courage, Notice what he says here in verses 15 and 16. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day, for such a time as this, in this place. At this time, I'm saying, folks, that we need to recognize that we need each other. We need to be in bonds with a people of a common cause, of a common faith, of a common belief. She knew what was being asked of her was was just unbelievable. This could mean her death but we find that what was needed here was the cooperation of all of God's people, gathered together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and everybody together was going to fast, and everybody was going to pray. You see, God gives us each other so that we can pray one for another. Now, this isn't today's ecumenicalism. This doesn't mean that we just call upon anybody that claims to be religious. This was God's people that were being called together, those that truly belong to him, praying for one another, fasting for the reason, the purpose that they were there for. And I'm saying today, for such a time as this, for this place and this time, so many times, People look around and they're so worried. They don't see any hope. And yet somehow they think they can do it alone. They don't need to be part of the body. They don't need to be faithful to God's house and come together with God's people to encourage one another, to pray for one another, to be there together. Folks, we need a common cause. Some of you were out on the streets in the open air yesterday. Simple truth is, is that those people aren't going to hear Unless somebody, somebody that has a confidence in being part of God's family will have the courage to stand up and to speak up for him, to share with them the good news. I know that most of them are going to go by and they're not going to want to hear it. They may laugh. They may snicker. They may think that you're some kind of an imbecile out there. But the truth is, somebody will hear that will never hear if we don't tell them. I know it's not the most popular thing, even in religious circles, but the truth is God has us here for such a time as this, in this place, at this time, that the work of Jesus Christ can be carried forth, that his work can be accomplished. We need a people, a people that have confidence, that have courage, that have a cooperative spirit together to bind themselves, to join themselves in prayer and fasting and encouraging one another to do God's work. And notice what it also says there in verse 16. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. We need consecration. She wasn't asking the other Christians, other God's people to do what she wasn't willing to do herself. She wasn't saying, well, y'all do the praying and y'all do that and, and we'll just get on with what we have to do. says, no, we're going to join in in this too. You see, we need more than just to know it and just to tell everybody else to do it. But we need to be consecrated ourselves. We need to be willing to give ourselves to God whatever he wants, whenever he wants it, however he needs it, I know, believe me, I know how full that life can be. So many things to take care of. So many things on the schedule. So many things that you just can't figure out how you can get it all done. Well, maybe if you'll remember that's not what you're here for. If you don't get it all done, it's not going to be the end of the world. But it is going to be the end of somebody's world if they don't see Christ in our lives. At this time, at this place, God has us here. If His work is going to be done, it's going to take place through you and I. There is hope. There is always hope for God's people. We know the end of the story. We know that we're going to be victorious. But today and tomorrow and this week, until that final victory comes, God has you right where you are, right at this point in time. He needs a people, a people that are confident, a people that not only are confident, but are courageous. He needs the cooperation. He needs the consecration. Each and every one of us giving ourselves to all that needs to be done. And boy, I've preached this, and I believe this. I honestly believe that whether we're in Great Britain or the United States of America. And I've echoed this call up and down the United States these last few months. Folks, we need some people that are concerned. God's people have lost their compassion. They're thinking about how hard things are for me. How can I get through this day? How can I get through this week? You see, when... Jesus looked on the multitudes. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. When the one, the lawyer came to him wanting to know how he could have eternal life, Jesus gave them that great story, that great parable of what we know as the Good Samaritan. And that priest and that Levite, they they had all the knowledge. They were religious people to the core. I mean, they lived it. They knew it inside and out. But when they saw that one that was hurting by the side of the road, the Bible says they just passed by on the other side. They couldn't get involved. And along comes this old Samaritan. I mean, the last one that should have cared. These guys aren't even supposed to like each other. (laughs) They're not even supposed to, you know, they're not even the kind of guys you want to leave two of them alone in the same room together. He comes along, he sees the same thing that the priest and the Levite saw. He sees the exact same thing. But there's three words there that you don't find with the priest and the Levite. He had compassion. He had compassion. He cared that somebody else was hurting. You see, today we've got to get our eyes off of my problems and my struggles and how hard it is for me and recognize that there's a bigger picture a far more important concern. There are people around us that don't have near the blessings. It may be hard. There are people around you that are hurting worse. She said in verse 16, And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. I know. I know what I'm about to do. I know how dangerous it is. I know how in the minds of men, how stupid that it is. I know how that, that even it's, it's against the law, against men's law, what I'm about to do. Why was she doing it? Because she cared for God's people. She had concern, compassion for her fellow Jews. Do we care today? You see, she had to overcome some selfish fears, some apprehensions that she had when this was first put to her. But in the end, she was willing to put the welfare, the good of others above her own. For such a time as this that you and I live in, folks, God doesn't need a people that are so selfish, so self-centered So worried about themselves that they don't see the hurt of those around them. Concern, concern for Christian principles, concern for a Christless people that are going to hell. We could go on and on, and I shared many of those things in the past, but I want to give you this one in closing. You know, today we can, we can all, we can read God's word, we can hear His principles. We can take and and understand those things inside and out and know what's right and know what's wrong. There's a little word that scares an awful lot of God's people today. You know what it's called? It's called commitment. Commitment. People get afraid of that. Why? Because it's going to cost you something. You know, it's, it's, it's easy just to sit back and just to, to be a part of the crowd and just to take it in and to take it in and to take it in. I'm saying for such a time as this, at this place, at this time, we are God's people. We're the ones, if there is any hope, our hope lies in Him if there's any hope for our nation and the people around us, it lies in God's people because that's who he's going to work through. It's not a time for not wanting to be involved. It's not a time to try to give him less time because we've got so many commitments in this world already that we don't have time to commit ourselves to him. I'm saying to you with all the love of my heart, how dare we? Call ourselves Christians. How dare we take and call ourselves by His name and compare ourselves to Him and yet be no more Christ-like in our lives, in the things that matter to us, in our commitments to Him and to His work. Do You know what she had to say in the end? Read it right there in your Bible. If I perish... I perish that's commitment (laughs) okay God (laughs) you know for me I'd be a whole lot better off to sit back to keep my mouth shut not to get involved in this thing hey I'm in a good place I'm gonna be taken care of but for such a time as that the message to her was well listen God's purpose and God's plan is going to be fulfilled. And God's people are going to be preserved. It might be your destruction because you're trying to save yourself. Whatever you do, God's plan is going to be, but for such a time as this, who knows whether for such a time as this, God has you right where he has you or what he wants to do with you. Folks, God loves you. God loved you so much He gave His Son. God gave you eternal life. We can never thank Him enough. And aren't you glad to know He's not going to take that away from you. He doesn't give it and take it back and give it and take it back depending upon how you honor Him and what you do with your life. All but for this time and in this place, God has us here. Are we willing? To let God use us. God needs a people today. He needs a people, a people that, men, they're confident in their own faith. They're courageous. Brother Steve to be willing to speak up and to stand up for that faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. They're willing to share that with all around them. It needs a cooperation. We can't do it ourselves, but together we can pray and we can fast and we, we can encourage one another that we can move forward with this thing. He needs a people that are concerned, that care, that have compassion. It does matter what's going on around us, but we don't need a people that are afraid. We need a people that are willing to stand up, that'll care, that'll put themselves their own needs on the back shelf if they have to and be able to be committed enough as King Esther and say, hmm, if I perish, I perish. If it costs me everything, God do with me what he would. As we go into the new year, you see, one thing that I've seen as I have traveled these thousands of miles in these recent weeks you know, God's still God, and God's doing a great work in places. And I see a lot of worried people too, a lot of people that are afraid, a lot of people that are concerned, so concerned that their lives are being engrossed by just their worries of this job and that job and this and that and all the other things that fill their lives. When it's God's people, our focus needs to be somewhere else God will meet our needs. God will take care of all of those things. But today, I want to just ask you personally, with all the love your pastor can ask you, you know, for such a time as this, do you know that God has your life to do what He wants to do for His people? Can you leave here today with great hope, knowing that no matter what happens in this world, God's people are in His hands. He will preserve us. And He's going to do that regardless of what you do. But today, He wants you to be a part of that. For such a time as this, who knows what God may have for your life, what God wants to do with you. And I can promise you this, there is nothing that lies before you, nothing in your future, nothing else that has to happen with your life that's more important that's a greater privilege than to be able to be used of God in whatever way that he sees fit. I can assure you this, folks. <laughs> with all the faults and weaknesses that all of us have, there is no greater place to know that peace that passeth all understanding. It doesn't even make sense, <laughs> especially with, with things going on like they are around us. To know a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. There's no place that that's going to happen in this world except in the center of His will. God doing with your life what He wants to do. Amen.